A Cooley and Kevin Wednesday with Cooley's film breakdown of the defense against Arizona coming up. But this first from Visa. Help support your local businesses, whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or your favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community. They remember your order and they call you by name. Always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, help your team score and choose to shop at local businesses. And while you're there, look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters visa everywhere you want to be official partner of the nfl you don't want it you don't need it but you're gonna get it anyway the kevin sheehan show here's kevin A Cooley and Kevin Wednesday here on the podcast. Cooley from Wyoming, me here in our studios in Bethesda. Um, Cooley's going to have his defensive film breakdown uh, today, and we will get to that here shortly. Um, Cooley started right before the podcast began with, man, 80 plays on defense? That's a lot of plays. Well, that's what you get with a Cliff Kingsbury team, Cooley. They're going to try to run it as many plays as possible. It's Texas Tech, it's Oregon, you know, and they ran, was it 80 snaps? That means three penalties were, uh, there were three penalties that declined because the snap count shows 77 for the Cardinals. Yeah, the snap count 77. And so I think when you have a false start, it doesn't count as a play on the snap count. So it would be three Arizona false starts. But on the actual film copy, it shows the play. Got it. Um, we'll get to the defensive film Eight. breakdown. And Cooley's on Zoom today. We 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 worked it out, and we think this is better. Um, the phone yesterday not great. We but hopefully everybody um, uh, look based on the feedback, Cooley, and we got a ton of it on the the, the film breakdown. I actually, I think it was one of the best Cooley film breakdowns I've ever listened to. And I didn't tell you that in the moment, but. As I was sitting here, the whole observation about Dwayne and him only going left and flushing left as a default and not nearly as good going to his right throwing the football was for everybody, including me, a really interesting observation. Now, I had many people say to me, uh, Sheehan, did you go back and audit Cooley's uh, film breakdown to find out that he, you know, whether or not this is true about Dwayne? And and I, th- my answer to that is no, I didn't. But intuitively, when you said it, I was like, yeah, like he ran left against Philly last week. He ran left in this particular game. I, I, I mean, I didn't go through all you know seven starts last year. We could go back and do that, you know, and and see if if it's something, but. Whether it's true or not, what you definitely hit on, and it seems to be true, is he's not as comfortable going to his right and throwing as he is to his left. Whether the default is to go left or not consistently over a period of nine starts, I, I, I'm guessing that it is, but it's but he wasn't comfortable. That was just a really interesting take. It's like one of those things where people were saying to me, Cooley, 
Why isn't Cooley on that staff? Why isn't he a scout? Remember when, and and somebody reminded me of this, remember when you basically told Jay Gruden in the staff what Dak Prescott did before, you know, before a certain play. I can't remember the specifics, but you basically nailed it. Like if Dak, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I know exactly what you're talking about. It I had picked up on Dak's signals watching on film and I could almost call plays when he, when he used hand signals. Now keep in mind, I did not tell Jay Gruden. It, I told you I wasn't going to, I'd said it on the radio. So anyone could have picked it up. Someone in the building definitely heard it. And I, I tried to tell one or two people and it was like, yeah, why don't you just go down and talk to, they had a pro scouting and, and, and run it through there, but they know those things and, and people change their signals. And I said, no, he doesn't. He's utilized almost the same signals for two years. I audited the actual Dak Pres- Prescott signal thing, but I, I, you pick up a lot of things on film as the Dwayne stuff goes. It's my sense, my intuition. And that's what I said yesterday. You and did. I have a really good feel. And if you wanted to go back and audit that, I'm sure you'd find the same thing. On throws where he's throwing to his left, I'll bet he has a higher completion percentage. On scrambles, I'll bet it's 9 out of 10 to his left or 8 out of 10 to his left. And the intuition also goes back to watching every Ohio State game. And I've said this to you multiple times. As you said, Dwayne looked athletic last year. I said, as the year progressed at Ohio State in his last year there, I thought he looked athletic. But in thinking through some of those scrambles for Dwayne, they were to his left at Ohio State, too. The ones I remember specifically were also moving to his left. So this is a year before at Ohio State, plus last year, plus this year. It's I'm sure he's had scrambles to his right. I'm sure he's made throws rolling to his right. I'll bet you find more to the left, though. If it, I, I would bet good money on that. Yeah. Um these I, I, I would I would I would bet that you're right. Um the Dak Prescott thing, I I forgot. So I, I was wrong. I thought you had somehow gotten a message to them. I do remember that you took my observation about Alfred Morris when he was pitched the ball versus being handed off the ball. You did take that to the offense. You took that to somebody in the building. McVeigh. It was McVeigh that I took it to, Kevin. Oh, you did? You and took they it to Sean? Tossed it. And they tossed it. Yeah, Sean, and they tossed it the next week. They did. They they ended up pitching it to him because Morris needed it a little bit deeper and a little bit quicker was my observation. And when, when that happened, he was in great shape. Remember, even out of the pistol, they would pitch it to him every once in a while. And I, I just made this simple observation that when they pitched it to him, it seemed he was a little bit deeper, he had a little bit more time, and the results were better versus when they handed it off to him. Um, by the way, the other lots of feedback on your offensive film breakdown. The other thing um, was, you know, those that are convinced that you're out to get, you know, Dwayne, uh, you know, that you, you know, I like Dwayne. I know I'm you're not out to get him. I know. I, I, I like Dwayne. I'm, I'm rooting for his success. I know Dwayne personally. I like Dwayne. It's just, it's not in me to come up with a grade. That's not the real grade. 
I know that, and I was going to say on your behalf, which is fine, that one of the things that you told me, you know, last year during the year is you you said I like Dwayne, like he he is somebody that people like, and I'm rooting for him now. And not that you weren't rooting for him before, but you you didn't like him coming out of Ohio State at 15 overall, nor did I. Um, but the one of the things that you said yesterday, and I just wanted you to clear it up, and because I think I know what you meant, is you essentially called what they are doing a you know a high school offense, and of course people took that and ran with it as a knock against Dwayne, and you you gave several possibilities as to why you know it was a very scaled down offense at this point. Right. Now, obviously, Dwayne is a possibility. It's a new offensive coordinator. So there's a possibility that they didn't get a lot installed before camp. They have a young group of receivers. So there's a big chance that they're not comfortable calling multiple pass combinations. They have an offensive line where you potentially could have concerns about throwing the ball down the field in the drop back game. That could be a possibility. They could be slow playing and establishing something week in and week out, which Joe Gibbs always did, which is another possibility. There are a lot of possibilities. It's just their combinations over two weeks were very limited as far as the passing game, which is, it's not a, a massive knock. It's just high schools don't have a lot of passing combinations. <laughs> right. That's what it was. Is what it reminded me of. I'm not saying it is one. I'm saying I feel like it reminded me of watching high school offense. I made the point to a friend of mine. I'm not coming off of that. I'm not. I'm. I'm not coming off of that. I feel very sure of that statement. This is my. It was limited. Yeah, this is my favorite. When you know, when we the film breakdown of the you know Cooley started this in 2013 or whatever with Zabe and Galdi, and then continued it with me. And one of my favorite things about Cooley is once he's watched the film, once he's you know looked at this stuff, he's not coming off anything. I mean, he's essentially. I, I don't know how many times like we would take calls and somebody would say no, and you'd say no, 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 you're wrong. I'm right. You can have that opinion, but it's the wrong opinion. And um, and and one of the things that I was going to also say about the limited offense is the play that you started with when you started to evaluate Dwayne, which was the sack that he took that knocked him out of field goal range in the first half. And you said, what was this play? Like, nobody's open. Nobody's going to the sticks. These are – this isn't even a good concept. So some of that and it's some two – two, It's two-by-two two quick game. Two by two quick game that's essentially a zone beater that has very little man beaters, and Arizona's playing man to man coverage. Right. And three out of the four routes are five yards short of the sticks. So some of that is on the, the coordinator. Back. Agreed. Yeah. And I said that. Yes, you did. Yeah, you did. You know, the funny thing about that play, because I went back and watched it this morning um, uh, because I, pl- I played that one section back on the radio show, is that. If that really was the plan, they should have just run a draw and kicked the field goal. Like, but and and they'll learn. Look, this it's early. It's two games. They're all feeling each other out. 
Um, but uh, the feedback was uh, terrific um, on, uh, well, when I say terrific, it was a lot of feedback. Um, some people upset about how critical you were of the offense and of Dwayne and of whatever. And some of the people, you know, saying, my God, that observation about the flush left thing is something that, that he should be, you know, sharing with the coaching staff, which I don't think you'll be doing. Um, I wanted to mention. He completed two balls down the field more than 10 yards. Two. Right. Out of 33. And one of them was a third what one. What do you want to say? The offense, the passing game was dreadful in, in, in the offense. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like Statistically, when you complete two balls down the field, it, you're not getting big plays, buddy. No. But they did run that slant well to, to uh, t- TM, to Terry McLaurin. Uh, yeah, TM caught about six slants for 150 yards, and that was the extent of their passing game. One deep ball to Sims. Right. Um, Sorry, and I'm not, again, Dwayne didn't play well, but I'm not saying it's this basic simplistic because of Dwayne exclusively. You'd have to ask Scott Turner why it's as simplistic as it is, which I'm sure someone will this week. And also, keep in mind, last week Ron said, you will not see the full extent of our offense until next year. I also said a lot of the things they did in Carolina – like utilize the back in third down situations or in or choice choice route situations. They are they are not doing. Yeah, their their player versatility program, which is actually not a real thing, but <laughs> for the extent of this this conversation, the, the versatility and the use of players in different spots is very limited. Logan Thomas extended one time outside that I thought he could have caught a ball on a third down early. Yeah. But other than that, like they're lining up where you expect them to line up, though they're shifting and motioning. Their 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 players are where you think they're going to be, which also makes it harder to dictate coverage or understand what you're doing as a quarterback. If you have a tight end outside and now back goes out of the backfield to the other side, they're going to show you their cards. Like his motions and shifts are going to get to the point where they're just they're, they're just going to wait it out. All right, we're going to get to your defensive film breakdown. I've got one other thing, um, maybe two other things real quickly before we get started on the defensive film breakdown, right after this word from Indochino. Hi, this is Paul Tenorio from The Athletic. When I buy dress shirts off the rack, I tend to end up with shirts that drape off my broader shoulders and look boxy on me. Just the other day on vacation, we took a family photo, and the shirt I wore just looked way too big and wide. It was amazing how much better the photo looked when I switched into my new Indochino shirt. My wife and I had taken my measurements at home on Indochino.com and sent them in. And my new shirt emphasizes my shoulders, but cuts in so much better across my chest and stomach. I looked and felt way more confident and stylish. With Indochino, you can get custom fitted suits, coats, shirts, and casual wear at surprisingly affordable prices. And you can customize everything from the fabric to the lining and the lapel shape, even add a monogram. The best part, Indochino's suits start at just $299 with all customizations included. And it's super easy to order and get it shipped fast no matter where you live. So go visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America or do what I did. Book a virtual appointment and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $399 or more when you enter code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's Indochino.com, promo code ATHLETIC. All right, we're going to get to uh, the defensive film breakdown here in a moment. There were a couple of things that I wanted to just touch on real quickly. Sort of what do you got, I guess. Um, One is... 
because I talked to Tommy about this on the podcast yesterday, but I did not mention it to you. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you in the past or not, but I have this thing called trigger finger. Trigger finger is basically um, like a, imagine your finger gets locked into place when it's closed and then you have to force it open and it clicks to open. Right now, my middle finger on my right hand that's what I have. I've had it many times. Well, I see many. I've had it three times before over the last five years. I'm convinced that I have developed this in summer months when I've played too much golf, which I've done during this pandemic. Anyway, to make a long story short, a lot of you um, reached out with advice, and I appreciate the advice. I did end up talking to my orthopedic, uh, my friend Mustafa, who's a, a great hand specialist, and I found out that my cortisone shots from previous trigger finger episodes were on my other hand. So I'm going to go in Monday and get a another cortisone shot in my hand to take care of it. I I bring this up because um, so many of you suggested cortisone pills and that that was the way to go if you have reached your limit on cortisone shots. I didn't have to ask him about that because I'm eligible for a cortisone shot, but there were many other suggestions, which by the way are not fit for air even on a podcast as to what I should do with my middle finger <laughs> um, and trigger finger. But anyway, um, thank you for the suggestions. Have You've gotten cortisone shots before, haven't you? I, I- Maybe one a long time ago. I, I wanted to get one in my knee recently and they wouldn't do it because they said it's degenerative. It would help for six months, but then it would be the same problem. Right. So I haven't. But I, I mean, I also have never had trigger finger or stenosing tenosynovitis. So <laughs> is that what it's called? Yeah. Stenosing tenosynovitis. Uh huh. That's the medical description? That's the clinical term? Yeah, I just thought you'd been shooting too many guns. I didn't know. Well, I, I it's funny because one of the things, it's, it's really an arthritic thing. And when I was reading through the description on Wikipedia yesterday, which is always a great source, it, it talked about pain. I haven't had any pain with it. It's just uncomfortable to, you know, close your hand. And then when you open up your hand and your fingers, one of them won't move without you forcing it to get through this click thing. And that it's just, it's like an uncomfortable feeling. So anyway, the cortisone shot will take care of it. I'm thrilled I can get that. Um, we don't have to spend. Is the any- triggering is the triggering usually worse in the morning. <laughs> uh, you know what it is. It definitely is. Why? Why do you say that? I'm just reading about trigger finger. Uh, <laughs> is that one of the things that it says it's because once I get going and I'm using like as an example I've had this for a month when I get out and I start swinging a golf club it goes away like but I think it's the swing the grip that is causing it it could be a lot of other things who the hell knows but anyway I bring this up because I, I couldn't believe how many people um, tweeted me and actually Cowboy Clay texted me to, to with with some advice. Um, I, I would say that when he gives advice, you know, it's a 50-50 thing. Um, usually it's not based on on direct experience with him. He's an expert in, in, in almost everything. Just ask him. But um, he brought up cortisone pills also. I'd never heard of that. I, I've had cortisone. Man, I've probably had, I don't know. 
half dozen minimum cortisone shots. With my back years ago, I got a couple of those cortisone shots. Whatever. Thanks for the advice on that. There, there's a couple of other things real quickly before we start your, your film breakdown as well. Gail Sayers passed away, Cooley, earlier this morning. Um, Gail Sayers had one of the most unique careers in NFL history because people that watch Gail Sayers, and I did not watch Gail Sayers, okay? Gail Sayers had one of the shortest careers for a Hall of Famer in NFL history. He was a rookie in 1965, and he was out of the league essentially um, by, by the end of 1969. Now, he played 1970 and 71 with the Bears, but he played four total games with them because of multiple knee injuries. Of course, Gail Sayers, many of you know, um, Brian's song, the movie that, you know, t- you know, really was a tearjerker in the 70s. That, that movie has maintained its popularity over years. The relationship between a black player and a white player who are rooming together, Brian Piccolo, Gail Sayers in 1960s uh, Chicago NFL is one of the famous stories of, of all time. But what Sayers was for a five-year period, and really it's four and a half years because his first knee injury happened uh, in the 68 season, it's unbelievable what he did, Cooley, in such a short period of time. And keep in mind, the NFL seasons back then were 14 games, not 16. He had in his rookie year, where he was an all-pro and rookie of the year, 14 rushing touchdowns, six receiving touchdowns, um, and then um, uh, in return touchdowns, where is the uh, list of returns? Uh, he had in 65 his rookie year, two uh, a punt return for a touchdown and a kickoff return for a touchdown. So in that particular year, he had... 22 touchdowns as a rookie in his 14-game season. He was a superstar. He was Barry Sanders before Barry Sanders. The change of direction, the speed, the the, the short window speed, and then the acceleration, and then the be able to outrun everybody. In, In 66, he... Uh, played. Uh, he rushed for 1,231 yards in a 14-game season, which is really an incredible year. And he had another um, uh, 10 touchdowns uh, rushing and passing, but also had two kickoff returns for a touchdown. 67, he had four returns for touchdowns, a punt return and a kickoff return in 1967 to go with seven uh, rushing touchdowns and a receiving touchdown. He's truly. He truly had one of the incredible meteoric rises in an NFL career in history, but it ended so briefly. He he became a Hall of Famer, Cooley, at 34 years old. He was so great in, a, in basically a five-year period, 65 to 69, that he made the Hall of Fame on the first ballot as a 34-year-old. Um, if you watch Gail Sayers highlights, the Kansas Comet was his nickname. He was at Kansas before Rigo got there. You know, Rigo and his brother came in after the Gail Sayers era at Kansas. And then Rigo played on some really good teams, an Orange Bowl team at Kansas as well. 
Um, but Gail Sayers, one of the most unique NFL careers ever because it was so short, so fleeting, but there isn't anybody that watched him that debates that he's one of the greatest that ever played, even though he only played five years. And he passed away at 77 years old this morning, um, which is, you know, way too young. Um, but he has been living with dementia in recent years in particular. I remember one of those Super Bowl Radio Row years interviewing him, and he was such a pleasant and thoughtful um, guy, but um, one of the all-time great running backs in the history of the league. I mean, incredible to watch the highlights, even though you're watching a different era of football. It was he was incredible, an incredible career. I mean, one of the first like pure jump cut, stick your foot in the ground backs. It, it's it was so much fun to watch Gale Sayers, and obviously, I didn't watch Gale Sayers either. But watching highlights and going back and and watching old film of Gail Sayers. They did. They give me 18 inches of daylight. That's all I need. Right. And that was all he needed. The other thing I always thought about with Gail Sayers is he was one of the first guys to say, fuck ball security. Like the way he carried the ball right. so willy nilly. And yeah. He'd swim move guys with the ball and he'd be out in one hand. And I, I just looked this up, you know, in 65, he had nine fumbles. Did he really? I didn't know that. In 67, he had eight fumbles. And then after that, in 68 and 69, he had seven fumbles in each of those years. Like He fumbled the ball a little bit, but he just hung it out there, man. Like he was one, probably one of the first guys that kids watched and went, oh, I don't have to have it high and tight the entire time. And it was more fun. Like that, Just the way he carried the ball made it a lot of fun. But his one cut and his, his jump cut and the way he crossed people over, oh, buddy. I mean, that's so special. You know what's you know what's interesting about player. your your fumble thing, um, which I did not look up, but that's a great observation, great information. If you go back and you look on Pro Football Reference, which is such a great you know site, um, and you look at box scores from the games in the '60s, '70s, even into the early '80s, ter- you know, ball security was not a big thing. There were so many turnovers in games. So many turnovers. Like a quarterback throwing four picks in a game wasn't a big deal. A team having six or seven turnovers in a game was obviously was a big deal and it influenced the result, but it was almost as if they didn't realize during that time how much those turnovers did influence the result. Although if both teams were turning it over, it probably washed each other out to a certain degree. But if you go back, and I've done this before, especially with with Skins games, and you look at old box scores, it's amazing how how many turnovers there were. You know, the interception stat for quarterbacks, we know that, you know, Joe Namath threw more interceptions than he did touchdowns. You know, Sonny Jurgensen threw a lot of interceptions. A lot of quarterbacks threw a ton of interceptions. It wasn't nearly as big of a deal then. Ball security, I don't know when it became the big deal. I can tell you this, the Gibbs teams of the 80s, when they were plus 42 in turnover margin, that was the first time I think I ever recall people dwelling and focusing so much on turnover margin. And Gibbs, I think, you know, for all I know, maybe Gibbs was one of the first ones to say, you know what? You, this was an old Ken Beatrice, a uh, longtime sports talk host in DC. This was one of his adages. It was more games in the NFL are lost 
than one. And Gibbs really had that mantra to a certain degree. They were going to protect the football and they were going to try to take it away. And that result, that turnover margin, was going to be the biggest you know, difference maker between wins and losses. It's funny because it's gotten to the point now where on Friday we'll, you do Washington wins if, and you can't even say, well, if they win the turnover battle, <laughs> which is essentially if you win the turnover if you win the turnover battle by two plus turnovers, it's over 80% that you win the ball game. Right. I, I mean, it is the true, one of the true determining factors of every single game who wins and loses is, is essentially extra possessions. Yeah. It's look, I'm, I just pulled up one of Gail Sayers games. All right. In 1967 Colts bears, right? This is the Johnny Unitas Colts against the George Hallis, Gale Sayers, Chicago Bears at Wrigley Field in Chicago. The Colts won the game 24-3. to You know how many turnovers there were in this game? Nine. Baltimore had four. Chicago had five. And I'm telling you, if you go back, I mean, Johnny Unitas threw three interceptions. The great Johnny Unitas threw three interceptions in the game. If you, I'll take any game from that that week in the NFL and just click on it and see how many turnovers there were. Here's one. The first game I clicked on, the Browns and the Steelers, October 7th, 1967. Browns won the game 21-10. Seven combined turnovers in the game. It was just a different thing back then for some reason. Let's see who Washington played that week. They played Dallas this weekend. Uh, there were five turnovers in the game. Um, that, that, that was probably low for that, that week. And now five turnovers in a game, one team committing three and the other committing two would be a significant number of turnovers in a game. It's, it's strange. It's the ball security wasn't as, as important for whatever reason. Strange. It, it, it wasn't, you're right. And it's why the 32 turnover differential or the Gibbs turnover 42. differential teams it's why they'll never be beat because most teams don't even create 32 turnovers in a season. Right. It was plus 42. Yeah, 42. Yeah, which it'll is, ne- it'll, you said 32 earlier. I, I meant, heard, I, but meant yeah, I, 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 I actually knew that stat, so I yeah. shouldn't have said that. But it, it's why, I mean, most teams don't create 32 turnovers in a season. Yeah. I just pulled up another game from that weekend. All right. Rams 49ers. The Rams committed six turnovers in this game, the 49ers three, so there were nine combined turnovers. Anytime you commit six turnovers in a game, there's a pretty good chance you got absolutely run out of the building, right? Uh, They lost on a last-second touchdown pass, 27-24. So the Rams turned it over six times, three more than the 49ers, and it took a late drive by the 49ers to beat the Rams. You just wouldn't see that today. The team that committed six turnovers would have gotten throttled more times than not. But anyway... um, it's 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 interesting about the NFL now. I mean, well, the, the game's changed so much. But I'll tell you what, Gale Sayers, he was Barry Sanders before Barry Sanders. There's so I, – I mean, I guess there are a lot of comps to him. Like, in terms of the backs that weren't necessary, necessarily elite or at that level, Terry Metcalf for the Cardinals was one of those guys. Um, but Sayers was totally unique for the time. Um Anyway, rest in peace. One other th- uh, quick thing before we get to your uh, film breakdown. Uh, John Orand was on with me this morning, and he had the television ratings for Washington's first two games locally. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I, I thought they, they, I was looking for them. They hadn't been posted. And I called John last night and I said, will you come on the show? And he said, yes. And I said, do you have the DC numbers for the first two games? He said, no, but I'll get them. So he's got access to this stuff. Um, the week one game against Philadelphia, 14.3 locally. That is horrible. I mean, that is just a terrible local television number for the football game against the Eagles in the opener. As a comparison, last year's opener against the Eagles did a 19, which isn't good either um, for an opening day, but it was down nearly five points from a year ago. And then week two, it was up a little bit, but John explained that it was in the four o'clock window, which is always a higher rated window. Um, it did a 16.5 against Arizona. I would argue that part of that, too, was there was a little bit more interest coming off the win over the Eagles because in that time slot in the 4 o'clock window on Sunday here locally, uh, Cooley, it was Washington, Arizona on Fox, and the Ravens were playing the Texans on CBS same time. And we have seen when the Ravens go head-to-head with with the Skins in recent years, the Ravens do very well. They take some of that audience away um, the Cowboys always take a big audience away, but still, and I'm not going to sit here and, and pound on on the erosion of this fan base as it relates to this franchise. We've done that enough over several years, but um, it, it, the, the first two weeks of the season, the local TV ratings for the football team are not very good. Not very good. If if people last year, um, they they really were awful and they really tanked the last couple of years. People have always always asked me, well, what, what would have, what would that number have been in the heyday? Oh, it would have been well into the 30s locally, well into the 30s. You know, you would have had, you know, for opening day against the Eagles, it would have been, you know, worst case 28, 29 locally, 30, 31, 32, and it was a 14.3. So if you're just judging by television numbers, and we've seen this in recent years, the people that are interested in watching the football team is it's essentially you know cut by fifty five to to sixty percent in recent years. You know that's that's a real number. You know that now are people consuming them in in other ways? Yes. Um, I had somebody say to me this morning when we had this conversation. A lot of people have checked out because of the name change. I do know some people who said when the name changed, I'm done. I, I I do not want to follow this team anymore. The tradition, the sense, the feeling, you know, they cave to the woke left, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not watching. I have no idea if they're really following through. I have one friend that has followed through because I texted him in the middle of the Philadelphia game. I said, are you watching, you know, Chase Young? And he goes, nope, I told you I wasn't going to watch the games. I'm not watching the games. Um but I think that that's not a huge percentage. I think it's just the people that have gotten tired uh, of the team and they're going to have to win to get people back, period. Any thoughts? If you're looking for a reason to not watch the games, then you're going to find a reason to not watch the games. For me, the the name change has zero impact on whether or not I'm going to watch the game. I think essentially the losing over extended period of time and getting your hopes up year in and year out is just waning. People are tired of it. And when they win, they'll start watching games. That's just, that's just the nature of what it is. They win. You watch games. They Uh, don't won't watch games. Totally agree with that. Um, all right, let's get to the film breakdown right after I tell you about my bookie. Uh, go to my bookie right now. They're going to double your first deposit up to $1,000. Um, it's real important that you find an offshore shop or a shop that's onshore or a legal sports book. Wherever you turn, you need to know that you're getting 
quality and fair point spreads and money lines and that you're going to get paid if you win. Not every place that you turn to uh, will guarantee that. MyBookie.ag, I can promise you, I can take the, the all of the uh, angst over whether or not you're with a place that, that will work for you if you win out of the equation. They are fair. The pricing's fair. They give you plenty of ways to bet. I mean, straight bets, parlays, teasers, futures, in-game action, on everything, anything you want to bet on, including the election. I mean, they got a lot of props on the election coming up, but go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and they will double your first deposit up to $1,000. You're not going to be able to just double your first deposit and take your money out. Okay, that's not the way it works. You're going to have to actually bet, you know, to a certain level before you can take your money out uh, if they give you uh, a double uh, of your money situation of your deposit. Um, but go to mybookie.ag. My promo code's Kevin DC, and they will double your first deposit up to a thousand dollars. All right, let's get to the Cooley film breakdown. We're going in depth, play by play. The Cooley film breakdown. Here's Cooley and Kevin. So here's your defensive film breakdown for the Arizona game, Kev. As always, before we get to the grades, I kind of like to overview the defense, and I like to go through some things and a couple of the plays, and then we'll get right into the players. But watching this game, they gave up a lot of yards, and they gave up a few big plays. But essentially, when Arizona didn't have good field position, they didn't necessarily – finished drives mm-hmm. i mean the touchdown drive to start the game it's on washington's 48 the next touchdown is on washington's 40 the field goal they had a 61 yard drive and then they had they did have one 80 yard drive to end the half for a field goal and then later in the game one 80 yard drive for a touchdown but i mean a lot of the drives where they were backed up the defense ended up getting themselves off the field uh, it wasn't awesome on third down i think it was a 41 percent third down conversion rate for arizona which isn't horrendous it's it's not going to lead the league by any way it's if, if you're the washington defense they also gave up a, a fourth down and one that didn't end up really costing them in the moment but it, it was it was okay defensively to give up 30 points you would think it would be much worse defensively right but it was 80 plays their offense the Washington offense could not stay on the field. And that is a huge part of defense. And you look at the first half possession chart for Washington, punt, punt, fumble, punt, punt, punt. First play of this first drive of the second half, punt. But then three straight scoring drives. Correct. Then three straight scoring drives. But when you give up 80 plays, or you're on the field for 80 plays, it's tough. And in part, that's because of the offense not being able to stay on the field. And it's not necessarily up-tempo by Kingsbury. It's just they had the opportunity to run that many plays. They own time of possession. They own the ball. And it it made it tough on the Washington defense. I'm not going to sit here and say they got exhausted late in the game, but that last drive, they they were tired. Those last couple drives, you could see guys wearing down. Eight plays is a lot of plays in an NFL football game. It just is. So I wanted to go through a couple plays just that I thought were interesting in this game. The first one is a third down and two early in the ball game where they run a read option play. 
And I've, I've sat here and I've looked at this play over and over and over again. And I'm just fascinated with how they even think they're going to stop read option in this situation. Because Arizona is a little bit overloaded to the offensive right, but in turn, Washington overloads to the right. And after a shift, Landon Collins follows the tight end over. When Kyler Murray pulls the ball, Montez Sweat is crashing hard to the back. Yeah, Kenyon Drake. So he's he's taking himself entirely out of the play. Now, I think responsibility-wise, his job is the back. Now, that said, God, it's Kyler Murray, right? Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, the guy who has more rushing yards right now than McCaffrey, more passing yards than Mahomes, more rushing touchdowns than Ezekiel Elliott. Like The guy that you don't want to have the ball is the guy that ends up taking the ball in this play. And when you're talking about read option, I'm giving Kenyon Drake the ball 10 out of 10 times to the overload side. I'm, if I'm the backside DN, I'm, and I, again, I don't think that this was his fault. I think it was coached this way on read option. He is going to ensure the handoff. The defensive end is going to ensure the handoff and then crash. It's he's, just what it's going to he's be. Just, he's got to play Murray. He's got to play Murray. Sweat after does. Murray pulls the ball, Fabian's outside with the tight end, and he's got to play him because if there's any boot action. And you're essentially left with KPL as a as a single defender who essentially is going to have to run through two blockers to get to Kyler Murray. Now, on the backside of this, Landon, Collin, Landon Collins keys and plays the run on a backside play. I think they're in man-to-man, and if he trails the tight end who's coming across the formation – he would be the one guy that would have a chance to make the play. I think Landon ultimately makes a decision that's the wrong decision to key there. But, my God, how are you going to – like? they want to give Kyler Murray the ball. Yeah. How are you going to stop it? I, I just – I can't understand how they're going to stop it. On, on a play later, barely later in the game, they do the same thing, and Ryan Kerrigan comes crashing off the backside to play the back. It's like, gosh, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> it was it was the touchdown that got called back. Okay. That that Ryan Kerrigan's just crashing, and Landon Collins gets Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders. Yeah. Murray Murray's got his little high step and his little shimmy, and he just, he just easy outruns Landon Collins. And I'm looking at like, what do we? How are we going to stop this thing? I think it's tough. I think it's going to be tough for a lot of teams. I mean, you have to you have to assume and play quarterback, right? That that crashing defensive end can't crash. He's got to play quarterback and make him give the ball to Drake. Isn't that the solution? It's it it might it's the only solution. It might not you don't have another choice there in my opinion. Right. I mean, the other option would be to to just essentially add a defender to the side that Murray could pull the ball. Which then, of, of course, they're going to give it to Drake, but you're counting on. And here's the, here's the answer, and here's why what you just said is the solution. Because I'm going to count on, to the Drake side, Chase Young, Deron Payne, and Jonathan Allen to come up and stop inside zone. I'm, I'm going to have to count on one of my guys to make a play there. We're just going to say... We're not going to let Kyler Murray in the open field. You know, Cooley, the other thing, your suggestion on Friday where if they get a chance to lay a 15-yard hit on him, 
Remember in the early days, 2012, of, you know, Shanahan and then Roman and company um, in San Francisco and Russell Wilson, obviously with Bevel in Seattle, when all of the def- all the people that thought that they were running some sort of wishbone offense and that they didn't understand it, you know, they're like, oh, the defenses will adjust and they'll just start murdering the quarterback, you know, on, on this read option stuff. And that never happened. But if you wanted to just say to Montez Sweat, on this zone read look, you f- pretend that Kenyon Drake isn't even on the field. Go hit Murray. And and if you get penalized, that's fine. That That's the opportunity to do it without it looking super cheap. Well, yes. Yes and no. Because he's in gun, if he gives it to Drake, it's going to be tough. But, yeah, I, I get it. If they even start a mesh point handoff, just beeline the quarterback. Yeah. Remember when but that was the thing? The thing is, is all I'm suggesting is if Montez Sweat just squeezes and holds there, he'll ensure the handoff. And then he can still go play handoff late. Like if they make Drake bow or hesitate, Montez can still get in on that play. It might be at two yards, but it's not going to be the end of the world. But I'm just not giving up big plays to their best player. Like You think they pay the play the Patriots and Belichick's going to crash the back? Because he's not. He's just not. I thought they could have run zone read much more in the game, but they were up and they didn't really need to. Um, the first Murray touchdown run was an awesome misdirection type of play. But God, everybody's chasing misdirection. The one thing I would say on that play, and this happened on both Murray touchdown runs that actually counted, Jimmy Moreland's clearly held on the play. It, it, like, he clearly held. Obviously, it's not good. Troy Apke misses a bad tackle. Well, they called the the one that got nullified. They called the hold against Moreland. Oh, they did call that. Yeah, yeah. That that was a hold on Moreland, which was right. It was obvious because Murray ran right by him. If if I remember it correctly. Yeah, sixteen. Whoever wears sixteen is holding him. But I mean, you have nobody else out there to play it. If it's not a hold, it's it's brutal. I mean, Darby's out there getting his ass kicked, and you're like, how are we going to play these Murray runs? Right. So, I don't know. There's some tough ones. There was the Isabella play deep that I just wanted to go through quick and then and then grades. But the Isabella play where he gets the ball over the top of Apke. Yeah. It's a two-man route combination in, in a run-action pass. And Isabella's running essentially a corner post. On the other side, Arnold's running a deep crossing route. Ultimately, Landon Collins in, in, the, in the, the Washington defense is in a quarters coverage. They have four defenders covering four quarters of the field deep. Landon Collins starts to cut the crossing route, and that's what he should do. So now he's not the deep player. The corner behind him would back up his and his quarter and become a half player. And then Troy Apke also starts to cut the crosser or step down to the crosser, which he shouldn't do. And at the same time. Jimmy Moreland has also got eyes on the crosser. It's a two-man combination, and we have three secondary players watching fucking Arnold. <laughs> right. One of the like Moreland did Moreland should have been there as well. Like it's bad on Apke, but there's no reason for Moreland to sit there and play up. He should have ran with that as well. Like his, his Isabella started to the corner. That would have been deep into Moreland's quarters. 
So it's just bad all around. I mean, these are a couple plays, but they're the big plays, and they're the plays that change the game. Yeah, they had some big ones. You're right. So those are the tough things. Like, And I told you, this is a defense that can be excellent, but they can't get beat on big plays. They got to tackle better, and they can't get beat on big plays. Now, there weren't a ton of big plays. There's another one late with to Christian Kirk or later to Christian Kirk that he, get, he gets over the top of Darby, which is a hell of a ball. But other than that, they, like, it wasn't a bunch of gaping runs. It wasn't a bunch of wide open receivers. I mean, there's a couple. Like, there's some promise to this defense. Really, th- th- there's some promise to this defense as as a defense that's can play bend but don't break, but should be able to get after the quarterback and get guys in. in long second and third down situations i'm i think this defense got a real chance even even giving up 30 and 350 yards whatever they gave up in 80 plays i think this defense still to me resembles a defense that's going to get better throughout the year and is going to scare people the deep one to kirk um where darby is covering him that's a hell of a throw by murray by the way on the move um, he's moving right and rolling right. Uh, it's a design play. You can see it um, where he looks left and then comes back right and rolls right. The coverage isn't terrible by Darby. That's just that. That's just great execution by Arizona, don't you think? Yeah, I think that Darby gets run by a little bit on the play. It's good execution, but Darby's a better player than that to get run by right there. So I don't think it, it's great coverage on that particular play. Yeah. Man, that is the the more you watch that play, that may have been Murray's best throw by far. I mean, that is perfect, perfect. Anyway, continue. Anyway, all right, let's get to the grades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where do you want to start here, Russian roulette? Uh, start roulette. up front. Let's let's start up front and move move uh, towards the secondary. All right, let's start. With our guy. Yeah. Please. Gotta start with Chase Young. The positives. Man, again, versatile rusher in so many ways. Speed rush, bull rush. He can rush with power. He can rush with speed. He, he can, he, I mean, he, he's just constantly up the field. He's constantly a problem. Into the second half, they just decided they were going to chip him with backs and they were going to give extra presence to him throughout the game, double him with tight ends. They, they were worried about Chase Young. The, the thing that continues to impress me with Young, and we know this, but his absolute athleticism is awesome. The, there are two or three times in this game where they're trying to screen at his side. And that's what you do with a player like this is you try to get your offensive tackle to cut block and screen at his side and just change his rush ability. Like if you think you're getting cut on the third step, then are you going to come up with true speed? But his ability to play the cut block, put hands on the back of the offensive tackle, and then rally to the screen is unbelievable. Right. I I mean, it's two or three times in this game, and it essentially just deters anyone from trying to do that to him. Hey, look, this could slow him down as a rusher, but we're not going to get a play to his side because he's going to play the cut and he's going to get back out there. I I mean, it's, it's just awesome. In the run game, the ability to take on a tackle, hold contained to a run to his side, but then shed the tackle and make the play inside is 
like a true trust in his ball game. Like he knows his responsibility, but he also knows when he's achieved the responsibility and can go make a play inside. Like I have been so critical of guys doing this in our defense, m- more so three, four outside linebackers through the last five years where they're out there playing contain and the ball carrier cuts back up inside of them. And they're like, well, I got contain out here. Hold on. Let me, let me do, let me do the coolie impression there. I'm right here. I'm doing my job. I'm doing my job. I know the other, I know I could make a play, but I'm, but I'm following my responsibilities. Oh, they just ran right by me, but I was following my responsibility. How many times have we heard that in the film breakdown? So many times, but to me, it's always that theory of your job is to get the ball carrier on the ground, not to take on the blocker. Obviously, you got to take on the blocker to ensure that you can get the ball carrier on the ground. But at some point, get rid of the guy blocking you. Right. Chase Young can do that. So I, I just watch this guy, and I see an impact on so many plays. His ability to chase the quarterback down, I mean, his ability to rally to the ball and chase the ball downfield, it, it's awesome. Like there, There's even a play where Murray he bounces outside on the left, and Chase Young is up the field, and he misses the tackle. Yeah. Reach, but he makes yeah. Murray bow so far back downfield or back behind the line of scrimmage that as they rally the ball, this ends up only being like a, a half yard gain. Like it's not like he's immediately beat and he's forcing him so far deep into the backfield that it, it, it's a no game. So, I mean, missed tackle, sure, but God, the best athletic quarterback in the league has got to bow so far because of it that he doesn't get get any yards it's it's awesome that was you know that play Cooley I think was credited as a sack to Landon Collins because I think it was so if it was a zero yard gain it would be a sack I don't yeah I don't know if they gave him a sack or not on that I I, I believe that 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 was one of the the sacks um that that's a good play by Landon that's a play where, where Young reaches out and dives for his feet and and he's flushing left and Collins comes out uh, up and basically runs him out of bounds. I think that was a, I think that was called a sack. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and it's a good play on the edge by KPL and by Landon Collins. But, I mean, it's initiated by Chase Young. He's just – when you watch a game, he just impacts so many plays. And there's very few plays that he doesn't impact in a positive fashion. He didn't drop a lot in coverage. I thought one or two times he looked comfortable. Um, look, I, I, throughout, not a ton of negatives. Like a run early, he's up the field a little too far. He gets kicked out. Back comes back under him. Um, later in the game, uh, with, on a, you know what? I wrote, this is a positive. I, I forgot about this. It, it says negative, but it's not. It, the, he has an end tackle stunt. So he's going down. The tackle's looping around him. He feels Murray bounce to scramble, and he's able to keep contain and keep Murray back inside. Like his adjustment off script there to what he was doing was awesome. I thought thought Young was really good. Like you're not going to see a ton of tackles in this game or sacks, but he impacted the game. He was an A-minus. All right, he starts off the year with an A plus and an A minus. That would be that would be all pro material through two two weeks, which I think anybody watching football that knows anything about football has seen ninety nine be the best player on the field defensively on on a field with several good defensive performances through the first two weeks. Continue, please. 
I thought the best player on defense was Deron Payne in this game. Mm. I think Chase Young impacts the most plays, but Deron Payne impacted a ton of plays in this game as well. The interception. He, he, he played 47 plays. Yeah, the, the interception, he's he's looping. He's a looper. <laughs> you know, caddy? Yeah, pro job. Um, but he's right there in the face to hit Murray as he lets that ball go. Murray's got to duck that hit. and That was huge. I mean, that forced the ball out. And it's a heck of a play by Landon, but – as you start watching this, he's in the backfield so many plays, impacting things, fighting through blocks. He's strong enough when he's getting blocked to make arm tackles. It, it, it's awesome. His interior rush one-on-one was so impactful. Even on the Isabella ball deep, like one guy's making a play there, and it's Deron Payne. He's got his hands in his face. That, that's a heck of a throw by Murray right there. Uh, not a lot of negatives for Deron Payne in this game. Constant nuisance, constant problem, constant interior rush. He was the best D tackle in this game by far. So it's funny when we talk about out of the three, who do we like? Well, it was Deron Payne in this game. It really, the only negative was a false start on a second and 10 situation in the third quarter. I, I didn't see a lot of negative. I thought I thought Deron Payne was an A in this ballgame. I mean, real quickly, no. before you get to the rest of them, I just, and I've told you this for two years now, to me, his best moments are better than any of the other interior defensive linemen's moments. Like, he has the most upside. You don't agree Based with that, on the, Yes. Yeah. When you watch what he just did in this last game, yes. There, there's no doubt that he has the most upside. Okay. I would agree with that. Uh, another guy I thought was really impactful, didn't play a lot of plays, but when he was in, was really good, was Tim Settle. I think Tim Settle only played 15 total plays, but he was constantly on the other side of the line of scrimmage, put pressure on Murray in a couple pass situations, impacted runs. I thought Tim Settle was really good. Um, I think there was like a third and one stop, which they ended up getting the fourth down. But, man, he's over the center, and he is kicking his ass. I, I thought Settle was excellent, which is interesting because you're like, how many plays do we play this guy? We don't want to take our three first-round draft picks off the field. Right. But at the same time, you know, could we take 15 plays for settle and make it 25? Could make it 23? I don't know. I mean, there's four guys there essentially rotating, and Allen had 50 plays, and Drum Payne had 47, and Ioannidis had 42. It is funny, by the way. I suggested that – Duran have a few less plays. You remember last week he had about 20 more plays than anybody else inside? Yeah. And he did. They cut the play count a little bit with, with Duran Payne. And they increased no. Allen uh, as well, which is was part of your suggestion, to increase Allen. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting about Settle because he was noticeable. I think he drew a, a penalty on on one play. Remember, you know, he was super young when they when they drafted him out of Virginia Tech. You know, and and there was this sense that it may not happen for a few years because he's so young and his body's still developing, um, but that he had a lot of upside potential down the road. And now, what is he? He's in his third year, so he's probably like twenty-two years old. Because wasn't he nineteen or twenty when they drafted him? I think. Um, it just it goes to show they they have they've got a lot of depth up front, a lot of depth. Yeah, they do. I thought Settle was an A. Uh, I mean, it's 15 plays, wow. so it's not it's not the end-all impact, but it's still 15 plays. And so, I don't know. I thought 
he was he was really really good. Jonathan Allen. So Allen is one of those guys. He can get the backfield and make plays. He didn't make a lot of plays in this game. There are times where you see him split double teams. He did get doubled quite a bit. There are times where he's splitting a double team and, and making a tackle in this game. I, he, it's constant hustle. It's constant work. It, it's he's a he's a really consistent player, especially when he's healthy. It, it, he didn't truly impact this play, this game. He, he wasn't all over the field. He wasn't a true penetrator. It's funny on a lot of the passing situations, Allen was the guy they chose to double. Allen was a B minus in this game. They chose to double him more than what Payne or yes. Ionitis. Both. Interesting. Um, you think that was on purpose? That was part of the game plan? Yeah, it's hard to say. A lot of times, too, it's where you're sliding your line. Like, if, if you're Arizona, you're, you're going to go ahead and you're going to slide your line to right. Chase Young. So a lot of times it, it just happens to be where they're sliding their line and where the extra player's coming from. But, but yeah, I, I I don't know, buddy. I, I was super impressed with... Arizona's ability to slide their lining and get some stuff done on the interior, but at the same time, guys to win for for Washington one on one. So B minus. Allen was Allen was a B minus in this game. Um, Matt Ioannidis. Look, I continue to see good rush in past situations and and versatile rush. Like early in the game on a third down and two, he's got a dip and rip, and he's up in the backfield and he's he's making a it's a pressure essentially. It's not, but I mean he's he's in there on Murray. It's impactful. This interior rush is constantly impactful. Uh, it forced the grounding on a screen play. A little stunt gets in the backfield right after the fourth and one. He he's, does a really good job of taking on two in the run game. Not a lot of negative. Not a lot of times he gets washed. On occasion, he can get run a little bit with the double team. But I thought Alan, or I thought Ioannidis was really consistent in this game as well. I thought he was a B plus. Man, this these are really good grades for a team that, the that thing gave is, up is thirty points. It wasn't like they got dashed. It wasn't like I they know. gave up a ton of big runs. I they got the beat on. They got beat by Kyler Murray. My first my my first thing on Monday morning was to say, you know, I know they gave up thirty points and I, they gave up some yards, but I didn't think that the defense played poorly. I mean. With that was my sense watching the game throughout, and I think Murray and that team is going to do. They're going to make a lot of teams look bad that are playing well with good players. They just are. Uh, let's go to Montez Sweat. So I'd still like to see Montez Sweat be more impactful. I think he gets a lot of one-on-one matchups. And he's going to because of Young. Now there are times where he's got good upfield rush. There, there are times where he's stunning inside, like the Landon Collins pick. He, it's a great rush inside. I mean, it's a great loop by Deron Payne. But Montez Sweat is creating the edge there for Payne, and he's taking two on an inside stunt play. I think that that's huge. Uh, speed rush on a third and five in the fourth quarter. He's got a quarterback hit, and he's forcing the ball to be thrown away. It was big time. There are a couple things where I'd like to see a little bit more from Sweat. Um, there was a fourth and one reverse where he lost contain that I think was glaring. Right. You're like, oh, God. But at the same time, it, there goes Kyler Murray moving away. Like Everybody's looking at him. You'd like to see him there. I'd like to see him make some more plays. I'd like to see him be a lot more impactful as a just true brute when people try to block him in the run game. 
I just want to see him be more physical. Mm-hmm. He was a C plus in this game. Ryan Kerrigan. Ryan continues to show up. Not many snaps. I, I mean, it, it's not on every single play, but Ryan does continue to show up as a guy. He played 23 snaps in this ball game. 23 snaps. I, I mean, there are times where you can see him push the pocket off the edge. There are times where you can see that old Ryan Kerrigan rip rush. He's, he's upfield with some speed. And there are also times where he's crashing down in run situations out the backside where he's got enough speed to get there. Um, I, I don't see him with a burst anymore. I think he's slowed down just a little bit. There are a lot of instances where he just has no second move. He has no counter. Once he's blocked, once he's bumped, once he's banged, he doesn't have a true counter. Uh he had a missed tackle on a third and two later in the game. He was the fourth player on edge, and he's, he's got a missed tackle. I, I mean, he was a C-plus in this game. I thought you were going higher there. But it, like I'm saying, like Ryan does continue to show up. It's it's just funny. It's like his show-up plays are about five plays out of 21. And there's not a lot of negative to Ryan Kerrigan. But there's just – he's got four or five plays where you're – there's 91. Right. Got to account for him. So, again, I, I think their front five, front six, were pretty darn good in this ballgame. What about Ryan Anderson? I mean, Ryan Anderson just doesn't play very much. You know, he, he played 19 plays once or twice up the field. I, I wasn't – he was a C. I, I wrote down C. I didn't have a lot of comments to Ryan Anderson. So, as it, as it was graded, not a lot of comments to the grade. Not a lot of impactful plays. He was a C. Um, I I don't know if you you know did anything on on Smith Williams who actually played some. Look against Kyler Murray and that team when they're running eighty snaps, you're going to get a lot of defensive linemen. You're going to get a lot of rotation. But Smith Williams actually ended up with seven snaps. The the seventh round rookie um, from uh, from NC State. So uh, did did you look at him or not? Because they seem to seven like snaps. Him. He wears number ninety six. I actually had to pause. Twice, I twice he showed up on the edge, and I was like, "Is that ninety six? Yeah, who the fuck is ninety six? Right, <laughs> seven snaps, um, five of them were in run defense. I, he, he was there was not one play that I graded Smith Williams below your generic average play. Okay, I thought he was a B on seven plays. That's <clears throat> that's what the thing said. My thing. <laughs> that's what. <laughs> That's what your thing said. Um, Smith three, three point three point three point three out of five. Right. Okay. Hey, that's a big. Uh, you're going to get to the linebackers next, and I have a couple of questions about the linebackers. Um, let me first tell you real quickly about Magic Spoon. <laughs> I I may have mentioned this to you a few weeks ago. I've been eating a lot of cereal during the pandemic. I did. I rediscovered Captain Crunch, um, which is an outstanding uh, cereal. Captain Crunch Berry is really good. Um, but I got sent these Magic Spoon cereals uh, about a month ago, and they're incredible. Uh, if you're if you're a cereal eater, I would urge you to try Magic Spoon. Zero sugar, zero grams of sugar, eleven grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. They've got four flavors: cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. 
The cocoa and the blueberry, by far, are my two favorites. They taste amazing. It tastes like regular cereal, but there's zero sugar, and there's 11 grams of protein and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. You know, you can do it with milk. I'll sit there and pick from a box of cereal coolie, like watching a game uh, as, as sort of a snack thing. Um, it's They're gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carbs, and GMO-free. And again, um, they come in four different flavors. Go to magicspoon.com slash KevinDC to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our, our promo code KevinDC at checkout and you'll get free shipping at Magic Spoon. They're confident in their product. They're backing their product with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. So there's no risk. That's magicspoon.com slash Kevin DC. Use my code Kevin DC for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. All right, let's get to the linebackers because there are only a couple of linebackers that really play for them in the, in the first two games. So the linebackers were a concern last week. Uh, I think my second biggest concern on the team, especially in some of the coverage situations and underneath zone situations between Dion Hamilton, who I graded an F last week, KPL, who was very up and down, had a couple man coverage gaffes. I didn't think was consistent inside. And, and Bostic, who struggled a little bit as well in coverage. I, I said big concern. I thought they were much, much better against Arizona. Now, there still are some things that we got to clean up. But when you start with, with Pierre Lewis, that was one of the things that I thought got cleaned up in this game. I thought he was awesome. He was all over the field. He ended up with 13 tackles in this ball game. His run keys were really, really good. You, you can see him waiting on the back, but feeling where he's going to end up hitting. Good gap fits. Uh, really impressed with his, his kind of ability to sense the ball in there. Uh, big play, big, big play in the game on a third down and two, fighting through traffic to end up getting a hit on the running back and forcing a fumble. That was absolutely huge. Um, speed, just speed, number to number speed. Like you saw a reverse early in the game to DeAndre Hopkins and KPL able to run that thing down from numbers to numbers, real speed there. And you, you can see it as a zone defender was much better playing things in the flat and forcing throws, but coming up in and rallying to the ball. I thought was really good. Tackling was really good. He's a good blitzer as well. Like when you put him in, in blitz situations, he, he's good at timing it up but he's also good at attacking a shoulder of a guard and not just getting blocked as a blitzer. I thought I was impressed with that man to man coverage matchups with guys like running backs this week was much more consistent with KPL. I thought he played well. I thought he was 13 tackles, only one missed tackle. I thought in this game and a forced fumble to me, he was an A. Wow. Yeah. So I... this, this is crazy because I'm going through these guys. I mean, we'll get to the secondary, which wasn't an A. But I'm going through a lot of these guys, and it's like, you know, we gave up 30 points. They're on the field 80 plays. So. <laughs> right. But KPL was impressive. I thought he so, was. too, yeah. Boston. Okay, so to me, better in coverage early, more consistent in coverage early. Like the Landon Collins pick, he's able to look up the crosser, and he's right there as well. He may have a pass breakup, or, or he may force that ball to be high as it is because Bostic's right where he needs to be. He had a sack on a blitz, which was big. 
Block shedding was much better in this game. I thought last week he, he really struggled to shed blocks. I thought he was much better at sensing a ball carrier and getting off blocks in, in the game in this week. A great tackle on a quarterback draw. Some of the negatives. Still caught up with some run action stuff. Caught up in misdirection. Like the, on a Murray touchdown run, that first one where he, he shakes Troy Apke. Yeah. What, watch watch Bostic. Watch Bostic and Jonathan Allen on that play. At the end of the play, Jonathan Allen's still running the other way with the misdirection. <laughs> I'm watching it right now. <laughs> like, yeah, he, whoops. It's good misdirection, but yeah. my gosh. Yeah, John had no clue where the ball was. Not a single clue. Yeah. I actually didn't note that in the... Well, it was a, it was like one of these weird fake underhanded pitches to the back before he took off going right, and that's what yeah, it's a yeah, John fake underhanded pitch to forty one that takes about Great. nine defenders. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. That that was the play. So I did make mention of that play earlier. I said Jimmy Moreland got held on that play, and you said that was that was called. That wasn't called. That was a touchdown. Run. No, it was the, um, the 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 one that got called was a hold against Moreland. Moreland got right. held on that play, and that that called the, it back. But on this one, you're right. He gets held on this one, too, and it doesn't get called. It, it, yeah, correct. It doesn't get called on that play. So, yeah, I, I guess call the hold. Actually, you know what? On the one that did get called, my fault, it wasn't – it was Moreau that got held on that play. Right. It was Moreau that got held by Arnold. Right. And it was the it was a really weak call. Like Moreau wasn't going to make a play on Kyler Murray on that play. And right. Arnold lets go as soon as Moreland starts to turn outside. I mean, I, I'm all in favor of calls that go our way, but to me, that was a super weak holding call. Moreau was getting his ass kicked, and as the quarterback got to the side, it was like, oh, yeah, and Arnold let go and put his hands up. He's got yeah, no he like. Arnold could have let his hands up a second and a half, two seconds earlier. There's no chance Moreau's going to tackle Murray in, in open space. As a side note, I think it's the biggest mistake in open space to throw your hands up as a blocker. Because, because it, throwing your hands up is essentially saying, I it, was holding, but admitting, now I'm not holding. It, right, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> they always, he always threw his hands up had to have yeah. been holding. Hey, I'm not holding. I just was, but I'm not anymore. Up oh, there I, comes the I was flag. holding, but now right. now I've sensed it, and I'm I am now not holding. <laughs> right, uh, you didn't see me hold before, but I'm going to throw my arms up. So now you think I may have held. Now you're just going to throw the flag and just think that you know I was trying to dupe you, which by the way I was uh, ten yards the other way. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, also on the on the fourth and one call <clears throat> that they got, I thought DJ Humphreys held the held the shit out of KPL. Like, I thought KPL on the fourth and one reverse had a chance to make a play, and he gets held on that play. Like, not bad position by by KPL, and he, and he gets held big time. There were three or four holding calls that they missed on Arizona on impactful plays. Well, this the, the, me, fourth, that, the fourth and one play that they ran was exceptional. Kingsbury's very creative, don't you think? It was exceptional, but I think KPL got held on the play, so I don't think right. the play should have counted. Yeah, and I got you, but I, I – it was – um. It was it was a it was a great play and keep in mind I mean that fourth and one was was in their own territory deep in their own territory that they ran that play. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, back to Bostic real quick. The couple glaring plays. Fourth and five. He's an underneath zone defender. It's it's quarter, so there are only three defenders underneath, and he gets matched up with Larry Fitzgerald. And essentially, in zone coverage, you become man to man on that inside receiver. And that is a tough matchup for an inside linebacker. 
But Larry Fitzgerald just undercuts him and runs right underneath him on a fourth and five. It's an easy throw. It's an easy catch. And that's not an advantageous matchup. Mm-hmm. But God, you got a little bit of help outside. So let's try to maintain inside leverage on that play. And then right after the back goes up the seam on a Murray overthrow, it's cover two, which they I haven't seen almost any of. And Bostic's playing the Tampa Mike linebacker, so he's got the middle of the field, essentially. Yeah. He should have help from Apke a little bit, at least presence, and he doesn't. Because that back comes flying out of the backfield, and he runs right by Bostic. It's like, okay, you are the Tampa linebacker, but that guy's blazing by you. Who, who do you think's going to get him? So I, I think on Bostic there, you'd want to carry the back. Right. It ended up being an overthrow, but that, that would have been an easy touchdown. The back's wide open right there. Uh, but Bostic, again, more consistent. I love Bostic as a run blitzer. He's awesome at timing that up. I think he's really good at getting in the backfield. I thought more consistent in coverage throughout the day. He only ended the game with four tackles, which I thought was strange. I, I just I, I just had a little tackle chart going, and I really only had Bostic on four tackles, maybe two other half tackles. Mm-hmm. Bostic was a B. It, it, wasn't, it, it, it wasn't last week. It was better. They looked all of them look more comfortable in coverage. I mean, right now, I mean, if if you're just listening to these grades and you miss the game, you're like, oh, they had another dominant defensive day. Yeah, you would think that, but then we're gonna get to some of the secondary grades. <laughs> Are you gonna do Sean Dion or not? Because I I pointed this out to you last week. I played think it, six plays. It I, wasn't he didn't really have much of an impact or non-impact on any of the six plays. It, they 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 definitely didn't play Sean Dion Hamilton as much, but Arizona didn't utilize as many two tight end formations. My question to you last week: they, they uh, their base defense is a four three defense for the first time in you know ten years, and in a four three you got three linebackers. You have a middle linebacker, you have a strong side linebacker, you have a weak side linebacker, and in the first two games they basically only played primarily two linebackers that Sean Deion Hamilton as the third linebacker. Now, there's no Holcomb and there's been no no Thomas Davis in the first two weeks, but they've basically either been in nickel or maybe Cameron Curls playing sort of a linebacker role when he's been in there because he's been getting snaps. But if if you just went on snap counts, they're not in their base defense very much. They they have four defensive linemen, but they're, they're not playing three linebackers. They're playing two linebackers. And I, I wonder if that'll change with Holcomb and Davis being available. But they do not and, – and maybe the opponent is certainly – on Sunday, they were a nickel just a ton of the time, um, and they weren't in their base 4-3. But they're only playing two linebackers, basically, in these first two games. Yeah, it's a it's a 4-2 nickel situation. Yeah. I I, I think with – the lack of linebacker if you did have heavy tight end teams that I still have this belief that playing five guys on the line of scrimmage which you'd call an under front and Ryan Anderson playing the strong side linebacker would be your best situation Hmm. and and keeping KPL in the middle I have not seen Ryan Anderson line up at linebacker when he's been in the game he has not And and that's not a characteristic of Carolina defense over the past five years and, and what they do. So they're not going to do that right. is my, my guess. But to me, that's your strongest bet versus bringing in Sean Deion Hamilton and putting him in the middle. I just think he's uncomfortable in the middle of the field. 
I think you put Ryan Anderson on the ball, let him play edge as a run player and flat defender in your underneath zone coverage. And I think you'd be better suited to do that at this point with the linebackers. Now that, that would also change. I think Holcomb will play when he's healthy. Yeah. All right. Let's okay. get to the secondary. Let's see the secondary. All right. So everyone knows that Troy Apke didn't play exceptionally well in this game. And I think the biggest thing is you're going to see two glaring missed tackles on Kyler Murray. And you're going to say, let's, let's downgrade the shit out of him because he had two missed tackles and he did, and he can't miss those tackles. He's also run by in quarters coverage on the Isabella ball deep. So that's a, that's an exposing moment for him. And, and I mentioned the seam ball overthrown to the running back with Bostic. Like that's cover two. And Apke just jumps all over the widest receiver. Like he's locking him up in man. Now, again, I know how cover two's played. I'm not saying that they didn't say Troy will match the inside back if the back comes out and Bostick's got him. But if it's just playing cover two, God, you got to midpoint those two receivers to some extent and then hope that depth with the corner on the outside helps take away the throw to the outside, but at least midpoint it somewhat. There's nobody in the middle of the field. Um. He's not glaringly bad, Troy. He can run, right? I mean, he can really run. You see that in the run game sometimes when he's flying up. Yeah, you can see him flying up in the run game. You can see him a little bit more consistent with some coverage stuff. The problem is, is when you're a free safety, you can't have four plays that essentially result in touchdowns go against you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're the safety there's a reason they named it the safety because you're supposed to keep everybody safe from getting over the top. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought Troy Apke was a D plus C minus right on that fringe. Which one? I'll put it in D plus slash C minus. I mean, maybe the teachers, you know, Maybe the teacher feels a little bit sorry for for him after last week and says, eh, give you a C minus here. It's more of a D plus. Okay. We'll leave it at that then. (laughs) Landon Collins. God, he got fucking high stepped on that touchdown that was called back for the holding on Arnold. I mean, Dion. That that Kyler Murray hesitation, Dion high step. Yeah. He just took him. He just took him to town right there. And so here's my other thing with Landon. Twice the back gets out and he's taking angles that are not good. Now, one, he ends up barely tripping him up. And another one in the third or maybe even the fourth quarter, the back gets out to the right side and Landon takes a shit angle and he gets out run to the sideline. Like that for a box tackling strong safety, that's not acceptable. You can't get outrun to the edge. Like right. some of his angles to speed to the edge, I'm not, I'm not completely sure of at this point. Um, the touchdown, yeah, the, the first touchdown throw to Hopkins, yeah, is a what the fuck moment, right? Like what, what are we doing here? And he knows, and it. you know, it's a what the fuck moment because I always say this, like the reaction afterwards. When a DB is not sure what happened behind him, he always looks at the other DBs like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but when the DB puts his hands directly on his head, they're like, 
I'm accepting full responsibility for this moment. <laughs> and, and he did. And he did. Yeah. I mean, he, um, he knows it right when the ball's loose. He's like, oh, that, oh, that's DeAndre Hopkins. He's really good. He's, he's already in the Hall of Fame. And I just let him go wide open. I mean, the hands are on his helmet even before he catches the ball for Collins. Yeah, even even before he knew. But you're like, what What are you doing? What was he doing, Chris? Like he's a. I'm just. I'm gonna twiddle my thumbs here for a minute and see what's gonna. Oh, the ball just went over. Shit, that was a play. That was a real play. It really happened. <laughs> oh, that oh. counts. All right. Well, we'll get him next time. Can we do that one again? <laughs> I wasn't ready. I said I wasn't ready. I, I I said I wasn't ready. Wait. You know, one of the reactions on this play, <laughs> Moreau's obviously turning Hopkins over to Collins. You know, um, and if you watch Moreau at the very end in the coach's film, he just looks at Collins and his arms down to the side, and he's thinking to himself, uh, "Hey, Landon, what happened there? What, what the f are you doing?" And Collins is like, "Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, it's only seven nothing. We we got plenty of time." Yeah, it's like that moment you're sitting there in a meeting, someone. Someone calls your name and you're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. what, what?" Uh, um, yeah, no, I didn't hear the. I didn't. Hear, I haven't heard anything you've actually been taught. It was like that day when we were doing the radio I know, show. I, I know Zuckerman. And you asked the exact same question. Like, <laughs> hey, yo, yeah. Kevin, where have you been for the last twenty seconds? Don't you remember what I was doing? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you were doing. It was the day sports betting became legal. <laughs> that was your memory. I didn't remember that, but you you said that a while back. I remember you remembering it. Yeah, they they had just broken the news that sports betting was going to be legal, and uh, Cooley's asking Zuckerman questions, and then I repeated verbatim Cooley's question, and both of you laughed simultaneously. I'm sorry, were you paying attention? You did it twice. I did it twice in the same interview. Yeah, it, two I, it, questions. I don't think the Nats were very good that year, and we love Zuck, but I don't think. I was real interested in the topic, which should have been an indication that we shouldn't have done the topic um, right then and there. But I think we were locked into Zuck, you know, even late in the season. Yeah, we, we when they were out it, of it. It was a lock. It was yeah. it was a it was a lock in segment. Um, so those are those are some of the negatives from Landon. I, I mentioned the fourth and one. I said KPL got held. No, it was Landon that got held on the fourth and one. Right, Landon. Oh, the other negative. I thought. Landon had I, I we talked about this on one of the early uh, one of the early Murray read option runs is uh, he keys and hits front side Murray pulls it goes the other way I, I'm pretty sure they're in man-to-man coverage and his guy goes across the line of scrimmage to pull out in front of Murray to help yeah I think he's got to trail that kind of behind the linebackers and stay man there like in, in some of that read option stuff he's got to go with his guy so that was that was that. The positives again. I like Landon in coverage. I, I think he's done a pretty good job in coverage, and mostly he is a consistent tackler. He ended with five tackles in this game. Mostly he is a pretty consistent player. The pick was huge, right? The pick was was a big time. I see it type of play, and go and jump in front of that thing, like to turn them over down there on the twenty yard line should have resulted in points. That was that was a big time play by Landon Collins. I mean, at this point, I would just say. You got to score on defense. <laughs> like DeAndre Hopkins is right there to tackle him. But yeah. 
that was a big time play. Huge. So play. I, I went through some of the negatives. And again, with, with Landon, when you're talking about a safety, you're like, you have a couple standout plays as the safety. It's, it's a little different. He was a B minus. Okay. The corners in this game. We'll start with, I don't even know where to start. I know where I want to start, but I'm going to end with it because I want to end on a positive. Jimmy Moreland. Jimmy was bad in this game. He was bad. Missed the tackle on a second and three screen on the fourth drive. Uh, third and five on the fourth drive. He's beat by Larry Fitzgerald. It's like, uh, God, I actually noted this. Our coaches, that third and five on the fourth drive, should pull that clip from Larry Fitzgerald because it's a clinic for a receiver reestablishing vertical after contact by a DB. So Jimmy contacts him about five. Larry then pushes another three steps hard vertical up the field and then almost spins Jimmy around and makes him fall down. Like It was awesome by Larry. It's not the worst case because I thought the receiver ran one hell of a route. But it was awesome by Larry. Again, he's a Hall Jimmy's of Famer. Locked on covering him. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer who's 39 years old. <laughs> Larry was pretty. Larry had seven targets, seven receptions in this game. Wow, I didn't realize that. He's really he's. It's incredible, right? How great he it's is inc- still. It's it's incredible. Um, underneath zone coverage, when he's inside, is almost that nickel player down inside. I thought he struggled. You know, there was an easy throw to Fitzgerald later in the game, and he's so busy playing eyes of the quarterback. And you're like, I do this. This is the other thing I do all the time. There's one guy in your zone. Do we really need to look at the quarterback or should we just go attack the guy in our zone? And then he ends up being late to Larry and he ends up having to miss tackle. He had two or three missed tackles in this game. Now, I think he can make tackles because on a Hopkins screen, he makes a great tackle later in the game. Uh, a little soft sometimes in coverage, a third down where he lets Larry, another third down where he lets Larry Fitzgerald angle out and come back inside. And it's, you got to be tighter than that. Larry's going to big body you if you're not all over him anyways, but you got to trust that you can run with Fitzgerald in some of these situations and stick with him. I thought slow to flip hips in coverage. Um, I, I told you the Isabella play. I thought Jimmy should have backed that up. I, I don't see what he's sitting on out there. So I think he's seeing a little bit too much in zone coverage, trying to see too much, trying to see quarterback guys. Uh, another one late that he back shouldered DeAndre Hopkins. And it's like, Jimmy's staring inside. I think that was a third down later in the game where Jimmy's just staring at the quarterback. Well, he's a, Hopkins he, is he wants to make plays, right? This is a guy that made a lot of plays in college and he made a play last week. And he, he, I think, is it, possible that he's staring down the quarterback because he wants to read it and jump something and make a play yeah it's it's looking like some of that josh norman stuff though where he's staring down the quarterback and if the quarterback just doesn't look his way immediately then he's way too soft and off in coverage got it and he's not quick enough he was not quick enough driving flipping his hips out of the break jimmy was a d okay fabian so Fabian was pretty consistent in coverage throughout the game, but there are some problems. Like the first third down and two where he gets picked on DeAndre Hopkins and it's a little whip route and then it's a missed tackle and you're like, God. Now, if you remember that early third down and two where DeAndre Hopkins, it's like an in and out. That's actually what Peyton Manning would have called that, like in and out or uh, 
burger or something. They had a name for it where, where it was like in and out. Double, double. I don't know. It, like you'd like to combo that stuff off when you get in stack sets and when you're not going to combo things off. And this is the third or fourth time with stack sets that we haven't comboed things off where the first receiver goes vertical, picks the defender and the next receiver comes and whip, whips back out of it. They're going to have to start thinking about comboing off those, those stack sets and zone coverage every once in a while. Right. The thing I've always said to DBs, cause this is one thing you always look for on offense is when the quarterback glances out to a stack set, if the DBs communicate a little bit, they're essentially communicating that they're going to it, they're they're going to combo off or they're going to they're going to switch right. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I've that... essentially said when a quarterback looks out there, if you're not going to switch, have some bullshit hand gestures like oh, let's go. We're going to in and out this. We're going to combo this off. At least make the quarterback think you're going to combo it off. Right. Yeah. It's not that hard. It's a you got to go to the indicator if you want to steal a base. You got to indicator first and then signal. Well, if we don't go indicator, then we're not comboing it off. You know, if I don't if I don't pick pick inside my nose a little bit as the indicator and then tap my elbow, then we're not doing it. <laughs> Whatever. Um, um but it is hard when you're in those stacks uh, sets uh in and you're covering that. Um <laughs> like when there is action and near pick action, isn't it easier just to switch and combo it off than it is to stay with your man? It, sometimes it, it is, and sometimes it depends on the combination. It, it and it depends on the guys and how comfortable they are at, at comboing it off. Uh, it just does. It's it's interesting when you watch these DBs though, Kev. Like. Again, another play later, third and three. Hopkins is, gets a back shoulder throw. Fabian's kind of with him. You're like, okay, well, when Fabian was thrown at, they had completions. Who is DeAndre Hopkins on a perfect back shoulder throw not going to beat? Right. It was a perfect ball by Murray. It was. And it was a great job by Hopkins pressing vertical and coming back to it. And Burrow's not off in coverage. I mean, the only time he was really way off in coverage was that initial third down. The rest of the game, it's like you're going vertical and Fabian's right there with you. He, he's all over, guys. But the ball's not thrown. So you're like, yeah, man, regular old play. Didn't get didn't get thrown out. Didn't have anything happen. <laughs> right. So I, I thought he was a B minus in this game, but I did think he was fairly consistent in coverage. Uh, Darby. Yeah. This was actually funny. Um I wrote this back-to-back notes. Great plaster in off-script coverage. So as the quarterback gets out of the pocket, he is plastering. We've talked about that. I actually heard Tony Romo say it oh, on the he, broadcast. He used it game. too? Okay. Everyone uses plaster. Well, yeah, the players. When the quarterback gets out of the pocket, you get on somebody. You got to stick, him, stick oh, to him. Stick to him like plaster. Great plaster off-script. Literally like one play later, no plaster. Gets run by by Kirk. Eyes on the quarterback and Kirk's over the top of him. As Murray kind of got out of the pocket there. So like, damn. Kind of abort that first note. Yeah, but I thought um, you're talking about the deep one to Kirk, which we talked about earlier. I mean, that's that's Murray rolling right with the intention of throwing deep to Kirk. Um, I thought Darby, he wasn't that far off. It was a perfect throw. 
he gets run by. Okay. He ends up recovering and not being that far off. Again, it, look, it's a great throw, and Murray's going to make these plays. But you'd like Darby to not get run by right there. He just kind of gets his eyes on the quarterback a little bit too long in that situation. Um, I thought a big-time play by Darby. On a fourth and one, they run that reverse. I mean, he, he tracks the receiver all the way across the field through traffic, and he ends up almost tackling him for a no game. Like, that's a tough tackle. Now, obviously, you'd like that to get blown up in the backfield, but that was a heck of a job by Darby trailing that thing and making that play. Right. I also thought in zone coverage, he was way better at driving on in-breaks. One of my complaints last week, both him and Jimmy, any in-breaking routes, I thought they were way too soft and turned things over, passed things off. Um, I thought he was better at driving on in-breaks. In coverage, other than the Kirk play, he was pretty good. But in the run game, he's not. He has zero block shed ability. Like that, that first touchdown run by Murray – the running back comes out of the backfield, like the speed option guy. And then he just goes and kicks the shit out of Darby. And you're like, dude, just undercut the running back. They're not good blockers. Just undercut him and go play, go play as a quarterback. You got to take a shot on Murray. When you say, when you say undercut, what do you mean by undercut? Like go low and take the running back out? No, like go inside of him. Oh, I see. As the back comes arcing out towards you. Yeah. Step at him. And then just like, he's on his, it's the runs to his left understood so i would essentially say dip your left shoulder dip your left shoulder get skinny through the back and go make a play on murray yeah like they're the i i don't know because i i just it's not a lot of times kev that i've been out in space trying to tackle guys but i just get this sense like you gotta feel that nobody else is out there like oh shit this is coming at me and mm, there's a guy coming to block me but pretty much no one else is going to make a play on him right now like, I have to be the guy. Got to have a sense that you're there. I mean, there's that. there's sort of a sense in watching the Murray touchdown run that, that Darby sort of has this responsibility to turn Murray back into traffic, like sort of outside contain. <laughs> yeah, so th- th- I made this point with Chase Young. Once you've actually established that you should win your responsibility, don't just turn him to somebody else try to make a play like once murray starts to cut or, or can't out leverage you which i guess he could gale sayers him jump cut him and bounce back outside because it's murray but essentially once you feel like you've achieved the responsibility let's go make a play it's defense is so much about getting the ball carrier on the ground as well as taking on the block like you don't have to keep taking on that block he's getting blocked through the end of the play Look, this just so we're aware this isn't a massive downgrade on Darby. It's just I'd like to see it different. I just don't think he's a great run defend corner, but he's a corner. You just can't get beat over the top. Now, two games in a row. Yeah. He's a C plus. And finally, believe it or not, I'm ending with the most positive in the secondary that I saw. You know what it is? Cameron Curl. Cameron Curl was fucking awesome. So this is where this is interesting. I use PFF for essentially snap counts. They do a good job. It's easy to find. It's easy to see the snap counts. I don't give a shit what their grades are. They record tackles, pressures, all these things. I think that they're 50-50 on some of the pressures, some of the impact plays. They also record targets and receptions at them in these targets. Cameron Curl's grade on PFF was middle of the pack. It was 66.1. 
He played 32 plays. They've noted that he had two tackles. He had three targets at him, three receptions. Dude, two of the targets at him, he is a hook zone player. And the ball's thrown at two yards, and he makes the tackle rallying up. Like Larry Fitzgerald had like a three-yard gain. He's the hook zone defender, and he rallies and makes the tackle for a three-yard gain. That is what we're asking him to do. So how are we going to downgrade him that it was a target at him? Right. Like he did exactly what we want to do in a three-deep, four-underneath defense is attack the ball as soon as the ball is thrown and make a tackle for a three-yard gain. That is how this defense, that play that Cameron Curl makes on Fitzgerald, where he comes up and tackles and is an underneath zone defender, that is how this defense will be great. Because you'll make enough of those plays that nobody should be able to consistently move the ball down the field on you. Without big plays, you make those plays. That is what you're asking the defense to do. Um, God, I thought just fighting through traffic and making plays, there's a reverse to DeAndre Hopkins. They call a hold on either the tight end or the tackle on Cameron Curl. They're holding Curl. Curl hits the tight end and the offensive tackle, and he knocks them both down, and he draws a holding penalty. Mm. It's fucking outstanding. Wow. I mean, puts them both, knocks them down. Two plays later, they're going with a little toss, and Fitzgerald's trying to block him, and he punks Fitzgerald, knocks him on his fucking ass. Is, is Curl in the game as a nickel corner when he's in the game? Yes. He is an underneath zone defending corner in the game, and at times they ask him to play man-to-man coverage. And other than once, I thought in man-to-man coverage, he was really good. Now it's Arnold that he's covering, so you shouldn't. it, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. But, again, I thought he was pretty good. The, the glaring negative play, he gets outrun in, on that last drive by Arnold. Arnold's running a steam route. He starts outside. Curl attacks it, and Arnold undercuts him up the middle of the field. I guess I say undercut. It means go inside of somebody. Right. Leverage. Like, and Arnold makes a big play down the seam, and you can see Curl gets beat man-to-man on that play. He jumped outside, and Arnold got inside, and he, he – recovers you know fall down but i mean arnold's wide open for the most part man i thought curl last week looked inconsistent in zone coverage i thought this week looked very consistent in zone coverage and i thought one other than the one play when asked in man-to-man was good and then i thought in the run game and as a tackler was awesome i thought curl i gave him an a minus because he gives up the one big play out of 32 32 plays but to me he made a lot of impact plays as a secondary player like, I was impressed with Curl in this game. All right. Um, I think you got all the defensive players. I have a couple of questions uh, to wrap this thing up uh, right after I tell you about Fubo TV. Um, this is a chance for you to save money. $50 is more affordable than other cable providers. Uh, this is an opportunity to watch sports. Uh, and watch your teams from wherever you are, wherever you live. Push for the family plan where three people can watch at once. The standard base plan has two screens at once. You're going to get 15% off on the first month, 30 hours of DVR time. You'll get your local broadcast. Uh, NBC Sports is included on the national feed as well. The NFL season is here. Fubo TV will not disappoint. Stay updated on your favorite teams as well as the local broadcast 
broadcast news. Go to FuboTV.com slash athletic today and get 15% off your first month. You won't regret it. That's FuboTV.com slash athletic. Start your first month uh, today. Also, I uh, want to tell you um, about Roman because some of you, you know, are you have issues admitting that you may have some issues with ED. And talking about ED isn't easy. And I think Cooley and I uh, both understand the sensitivity to this subject. I'm not saying from direct experience, Cooley, at all, but how you would be sensitive to this subject if you are uh, suffering from erectile dysfunction and you blame yourself or you make excuses and you don't have to. With Roman, it's so easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process, straightforward, simple, and most importantly, discreet. Getting started is simple. Simply go to roman.com slash kevindc to complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today. Connect with a healthcare professional and get it taken care of. Go to GetRoman.com slash KevinDC today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash KevinDC. GetRoman.com slash KevinDC. All right, I've got a couple of questions for you to wrap this thing up. Um, Nope. Hey, hey, trigger finger. Yeah. Why don't you pull that trigger? I'm going to pull the trigger right now. Um, how impressed were you? Because one of my takeaways from Sunday was, keep in mind, when the Cardinals got rid of Steve Wilkes after one year, there was a lot of criticism that they got rid of Steve Wilkes after one year. And they hired Cliff Kingsbury. Like, nobody saw this hire coming. Cliff Kingsbury was a college coach at Texas Tech and not even a winning college coach at Texas Tech. Um, But he had coached um, one Patrick Mahomes. Um, I'm just curious as to how impressed or maybe not so much you were with the Cardinals offensively. I thought all of the college stuff, um, a lot of the looks – I think it's very creative, and they're going to be really difficult to defend. What did you think? I, I would absolutely agree. I think that was why they hired Kingsbury, was because of his ability to operate offensively. I will tell you this as well. I've always been impressed with Steve Kime. Like I think a little bit through the Rosen stuff, right. you questioned Kime. But to me, Kime's always done a great job of building talent on Arizona teams, and some of those Arians teams were incredibly talented. And this is an incredibly talented Arizona offense. Going out and stealing DeAndre Hopkins was absolutely huge for them this year. Drafting guys like Kirk and Isabella and taking the risk of drafting Murray and, and knowing and punting on Rosen right when you knew, I think was absolutely huge. So I think Kime also has done a heck of a job with Arizona. But, but Kingsbury seems to fit what they're doing with Kyler Murray, and Murray makes plays. I mean, he's got, he's got playmakers, but gosh, they are going to be tough to stop all year. 
they they just are because he's gonna, Murray's going to beat you in ways that you shouldn't get beat. I mean, clearly they hired Kingsbury because they were going to be able to select Kyler Murray. Like all of the conversation leading up to that draft. Remember, there was a time in which Kyler Murray was not a lock to be the number one pick, but that was the fit. You know, it was him working with Kyler Murray again um, because he had already worked with him at one point. Um, you know, or, or you know, he'd worked with Mahomes, he had worked with Mayfield, he had worked with Manziel. You know, and so this was an opportunity to pair Murray and Kingsbury together. So that is great vision from the general manager Steve Kime. I don't think there's any doubt about it. One other quick um, question about the Cardinals specifically. Remember the draft where people were talking about Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is the next Lawrence Taylor. You know, uh, I, I told you, Clinton was so high on Simmons, he thought Simmons should be considered before Ch- Chase Young at number two. Simmons has had a very rough start. He, do you know how many snaps he played defensively for the Cardinals against Washington? Seven snaps. That was it. I know it's only his second game. Um, and you probably didn't even notice him on the field, um, you know, uh, in that game. But uh, th- this has got to be disappointing if you're a Cardinals fan, thinking that you know two years in a row you get, you know, Kyler Murray, and then you get your defensive star, and it certainly hasn't started that way. I just don't think they found the niche for Simmons in that defense, because right now I think that if you're going to play him in the middle of the field. And essentially he's that kind of like do it all kind of guy. He can rush. If you need him to rush up the edge, he can play linebacker. If you need him to play inside, essentially a lot of people thought he could be a nickel player and be an impactful nickel player in the run game. But I think the diversity of NFL offense versus college offense has been a little bit different from him. The ability to rush. He's to me undersized as a guy that's going to play on the line of scrimmage. He's just, he's kind of like that. You got to find a niche for him. And essentially it might be playing him in multiple positions and the Cardinals could be very multiple on defense because they have guys in there. Like Hassan Reddick is almost the same type of role. Yeah. Simmons so plays and, and very upright. Is, like, he plays very upright. I thought, um, I, and I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing, but I remember saying before the draft, he doesn't play like Lawrence Taylor. Like anybody that's going to compare no. him to Lawrence Taylor, it, it's it's not the right comparison. There might be a better comparison, and he may end up being a great player. Don't get me wrong, um, but I didn't feel like he was, you know, that guy. Now he ran four three nine, and he's six four or six five, and two forty or two forty five or whatever he is. He's outrageously athletic, but it was. Um, I don't know. It, it, it looked upright and straight line speedish to me. Not great feel, uh, but we'll see. I mean, it was it was just early. I was just curious as to whether or not you had an observation of a guy. That... No, I think I think he's one of those guys too. Like, remember Arizona had such success and and were one of the first things, first teams to play a safety at inside linebacker. Right. Like, yeah. um, with, with what what's was the guy's face? name? Yeah, that they. Um, it was the guy that everybody's trying to copy. Um, uh, people are listening. Uh, people are listening that saying, "Oh, come on, guys, you can get this." Um, uh, we should be able to get it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull. I, this is right. one of those ones where I don't even really want to look it up. Uh, Dion Buchanan. Yeah, they Dion Dion Buchanan. Everybody thought that they could be that they could create this hybrid, you know, linebacker safety. Well, that's what I think that they see in Simmons. And I think Simmons can grow into that role. Right. I'm sure that they wanted him to be 
better. They, they, they pulled him after he got beat by Mostert. He played the first seven or eight plays against San Francisco, and then he got beat by Mostert, and they pulled him. So remember the yeah. remember the draft, Cooley. After Burrow and Young and, and Okuda, which were guaranteed to be the top three, the Giants were going to be on the clock, and a lot of people thought Isaiah Simmons could go to the Giants, and they took Andrew Thomas. And then you knew the Dolphins were going to take Tua, and the Chargers were probably going to take Justin Herbert. And then you thought, well, Carolina will take Simmons, and they didn't. They took Derrick Brown. I actually loved Derrick Brown coming out in this so draft, I. and I have not paid attention as to what he's done in these first two games for the Panthers. But it was at eight that Simmons went, which was later, you know, a lot of people People thought he could go as high as three or four to the Lions or to the Giants, and he didn't. I'm not saying that he dropped significantly. Um, that that would be the wrong description, but certainly there was this sense that, oh, Isaiah Simmons, Isaiah Simmons, this is the guy. This is the best defensive player in the draft. No, Chase Young was the best defensive. Chase Young was the best player in the draft. I think even it's two games, I understand that, but I feel comfortable saying that Chase Young, five years from now, we will look back in this draft and say Chase Young was the best defensive player in the draft. Maybe Joe Burrow turns out to be the best player in the draft, but wow. I mean, Young's first two games versus Simmons's first two games where Simmons has barely been on the field. Yeah, no, I I still think Simmons ends up being a really good defensive player. Okay. I, do. Uh, I, I think I think he has a ton of ability, but it, and he's a he's one of those versatile guys. Like he's that perfect New England Patriots player, where you can play him at ten different positions. Right, and that's to me what Arizona is essentially becoming on defense is an incredible versatile defense where guys are playing in a lot of different roles, and we'll see. I he's not Chase Young, and that's obvious. Yeah. So. Um, one last thing before we run, because this was a story that broke just moments ago um, during the podcast, and I was reading it uh, as you were talking about Cameron Curl, um, but I was paying attention to both. You know I can I, I can multitask. Sometimes you can do so, that. Sometimes so, you're landing calls. So, Ty, so Ty, Tyrod Taylor, who didn't start the game Sunday, and Justin Herbert, Herbert started for the Chargers in that first game for them in the L.A. Stadium against the Chiefs, that crazy game. Yeah. The reason that he, Tyrod Taylor, didn't play um, was because a team doctor accidentally punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung just before kickoff while trying to administer a pain-killing injection to the quarterback's cracked ribs, and he had to be rushed to the hospital um, after he punctured his lung with with a pain-killing injection. That sounds more like Washington's medical team or training staff. That sounds like something it would do. Um, that's a tough break, man. Already you've got cracked ribs, and you're like, Doc, I need the pain injection to to play, and then he punctures your lung with that. I I, I would imagine that it's a, it's a pretty tricky injection there when you've got cracked ribs. I'm sure it is, but that's one of those, like, you're fucking fired, Bob. <laughs> That's not good. Get out, get, pack your shit up. Get out of here right now. Um, the uh, NFL Players Association has already weighed in. Uh, Georgia Tala saying that the, uh, the 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 Players Association's medical and legal team have been in touch with Tyrod and his agent since collecting uh, the facts, and an investigation has been initiated. Uh, tough break uh, for Tyrod Taylor and the team doctor. All right, good job with the defensive film breakdown. Uh, Cooley will be with us on Friday to preview uh, the Washington-Cleveland game. Big test for Washington on Sunday against the Browns. Um, Everybody have a great day. Cooley, I'll talk to you Friday.
Take care.